0: Well, good morning, everyone. Is that not a fantastic day out there? Wow, beautiful. Spring has sprung, summer's on the way. And um, yeah, nothing quite like a beautiful sunny day, right? It just kind of lifts the spirit. It's beautiful. I'm going to go for a bike ride with some of my friends this afternoon. And uh, you're invited, by the way, those of you who like to cycle. um, We're starting a group who just like to ride. There's a 10K Route and there's a 20k route, at least that's the last I heard. Um, so yeah, you might be a 10k person or a 20k person. Um, Got to bring a helmet or else we won't let you ride with us. Uh, but we'd love to have you come and be a part of that. That's haf- happening today at 1:45. June 11th is a big day. If you haven't been baptized yet. Um, the next right thing to do is to be baptized in water. We would love the privilege of baptizing you, and you can head over to kingstreet.org and sign up for that, and that's happening um, two Sundays from today. And then as well, we have a team of fantastic volunteers here, like about 200 who serve, and you're all invited to lunch. But you need to sign up. So if you can head over to uh, kingstreet.org, we're having an exponential leadership lunch planned for Sunday, June 11th as well. And apparently the rumor on the street is it will be Mandarin. So did that inspire you? Sonia's coming now. Sonia wasn't coming before, but now she's coming. Uh, Anyway, we'd love to have all of our volunteers. And uh, some of you are gonna be looking for an opportunity to serve in the next week. Uh, (laughs) Pastor Dave, is there anything I can do at the church? (laughs) Um, actually, last night, yesterday, we had uh, 12 people or so from King Street that went down to Young Street Mission to serve the under-resourced in Toronto. I think there's a picture of them up there in just a moment. Um, and they were serving with the, uh, the community at uh, Regent Park, and about 275 people or so were served. And um, that's an important team of people doing the work that is close to the heart of God. Yeah. And we have four different teams. If you're ever interested in being a part of something like that, please reach out to Pia, just at Kingstreet.org, and she'll help you get uh, set up on one of those teams. It's a great way to get to know other people and to do something meaningful on a Saturday night. We do that four times a year. Uh, And today is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, if you're new to church, you're probably thinking, like, what's the big deal? Uh, On the church calendar, this is the one Sunday that the church universal across denominational boundaries... Um, all sorts of diverse expressions of the body of Christ. We celebrate the birth of the church, which is the coming of the Spirit. And um, so, you know, there's a sense in which and we're going to unpack this today. This will be our teaching theme as we conclude our Choosing Shalom series. We want to choose fullness. And, and God is looking to fill us with his presence And um, I hope as we move through, we'll be able to build a strong biblical uh, perspective on why it is that God wants us to be full of the Spirit. Um, But if you haven't been with us uh, over the last number of weeks, you can always catch up on our YouTube channel. Uh, We've been spending some time considering what it means to choose spiritual health and well-being, choosing uh, relational connection and support, choosing forgiveness. This is all part of the experience of Shalom. Shalom. Choosing radical acceptance, choosing generosity, we heard last week from Pastor Al, and today we're going to talk about choosing fullness. And um, so, our passage to ponder, uh, which we have been uh, taking with us over the last number of weeks, is found in John's Gospel, chapter 14. And if you're able, would you stand with me and we will read verses 25 through 27. And uh, it does have an appropriate edge to it as we consider Pentecost Sunday. So, would you read with me these words All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. And so this beautiful promise of the Spirit from Jesus, and how um, His work is so... Closely connected to this beautiful idea of shalom in Hebrew or arene in Greek, uh, which is a wonderful, wonderful, one of my favorite words is the shalom of God, and it's so much more than the absence of conflict, as we've been exploring over the last number of weeks, but fear gets in the way of our experience of peace. And the Spirit comes, right? The Spirit comes to help us understand the unconditional love of God. Remember, perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. But when we understand God's perfect love, we understand the grace and the mercy. And we can flourish when we understand the shalom of God. And, uh, and the Spirit, I always love talking about the Spirit of Jesus. Um, you'll find that in the New Testament. Sometimes the Spirit of God, sometimes the Holy Spirit sometimes the, Spirit, sometimes the Spirit, sometimes the Spirit of Jesus. all referencing the what we have called the third person not that he's less important, but Father, Son, Holy Spirit all referencing him. and he is a person. And uh, he is powerful, and he is beautiful, and he is good, and he carries all the attributes of divinity. He is God, not a lesser, not a greater. He is part of the Godhead, um, the tri-unity of God. The person of the Holy Spirit is in concert with the mission of Jesus. And that's the reason I love saying the Spirit of Jesus, because the Spirit's not doing anything divorced from the mission of Jesus. Where you find the Spirit of God, you will find people on mission with Jesus in the world. Sometimes charismatic churches, well-intentioned, have gotten a little bit off-center when they have focused on some of the manifestations of the Spirit and moved away from the mission of Jesus. Can I get an amen for that? We want to be people who are fully empowered by the Spirit so that we can live well in the world. But we want to remember that the Spirit is always illuminating, always inviting, always prompting, always moving us in concert, in step with the mission of the Lord Jesus. That's why we celebrate what was happening last night down at Young Street Mission, because Jesus would feed the hungry. He would look after the under-resourced. And when we are full of the Spirit, these are some of the things that we will find ourselves inclined to do together as the people of God. Does that resonate with you today? So we don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. We can open our hearts to him, and he will come, and he will make us the 2.0 version of ourselves that more closely resembles Jesus in the world. Some things have been done in the Spirit's name. Maybe you've been aware of some of that over the years. Some stuff has been done in the name of the Spirit that had very little to do with the mission of Jesus and very little to do with what the Spirit was sanctioning in the world. So we want to be the kinds of people who are anchored in the text of Scripture, who are centered on Jesus and open to the Spirit. How can we go wrong then, right? All right. So uh, our friends from the Bible Project, Dr. Tim Mackey, I thought after seven weeks we got to read this quote one more time on shalom, because I just think it's beautiful and brilliant. This is how he describes shalom. It can refer, shalom can refer to the absence of conflict, but often refers to something better in its place. It can mean complete or whole. So when we're pursuing wholeness, we're pursuing the the shalom of God. It can refer to a whole stone with no cracks or a completed stone wall with no missing bricks. There's no missing peace. Right. To reconcile or heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. When two rival nations, and we've been emphasizing this part of it because it's, so, so, uh, it's such a beautiful picture for us. When two rival nations experience shalom, they don't simply stop fighting or put down their weapons. They don't just disarm themselves. They start working together for each other's benefit. And our world could use some more shalom, right? Right? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we woke up tomorrow morning and Russia decided that they were just going to stop the conflict and Ukraine said, oh, yes, please? And they said, how can we work together to rebuild? How can we work together to be stronger nations? That would be a little picture of the shalom of God. That's the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. The kingdom of this world doesn't get that, right? We wanna occupy, we wanna take over more control and territory, we wanna be more powerful than our neighbor. But when the kingdom of God comes, we reach across dividing lines and say, how can I help? How can I lift? How can I be of service? Um, This is the beautiful thing about the shalom of God. All right, I don't have my watch on today because it broke when I was on holidays, which is very dangerous for a pastor who doesn't have his watch on his wrist. (laughs) But they have put a clock at the back, so we'll use our time wisely today. Uh, I've got three ideas for us to consider this morning, uh, biblical ideas. Um, And again, if you're new to King Street, we just had a newcomer's breakfast with about 60 or so new people to King Street. It was awesome (laughs) meeting so many friendly new people to King. And um, so if you're new to us, uh, we, we take seriously the Bible. We don't take it always literally, because if we did that, remember Jesus says, cut off your hand, gouge out your eye. We don't read it literally all the time because passages are sometimes symbolic. Sometimes there's metaphor, but we always take it seriously because the Bible is a special book. We come under the teaching of God's word. We don't sit above it and critique it. We come under it and we responsibly handle it and listen to it. And then with the help of the spirit, apply it to our lives so that we can become, again, the best version of ourselves. So uh, a biblical teaching today that is going to wrap up our Choosing Shalom series which will also be in step with this idea of Pentecost Sunday. So um, I want to frame something for you as we move through. It'll be very applicable as we move along, but I want to kind of set the table for you biblically about uh, how God works in the world, and and then we'll talk about um, what it means to truly understand the pure spirit of Pentecost for today. All right, so here's the first idea. Moving from empty to full. Moving from empty to full. Uh, Living on empty can be very problematic. Uh, If you've ever driven a great distance and my family did this when we were relocating from BC We drove across from BC back to the Toronto area and we were going through the mountains of Montana And we didn't know where we were going. We had remember those hard copy um, (laughs) Maps P is navigating in the front seat triptychs and everything else going on anyway, uh, we were driving a small little car that resembled a Honda Civic and uh, my yellow light came on the fuel I've ever had that happen before, going through the mountains, and there are no gas stations. And uh, being on empty that day was a tough experience. We prayed hard. We prayed hard. I don't know how it happened, but we drove a great distance with the yellow light on, uh, on empty. But we made it to a gas station. You know the panic, right? What are we going to do? This is, we didn't have a cell phone. That was a long time ago. Uh, I had these feet that were going to carry me however far I had to go to try to find help. Um, so running on empty whether it's a gasoline engine or maybe some of you are driving uh, electric vehicles these days and the charge is reading you know uh, sort of depleted state and you need to find a charging station Um, whatever that might look like for us being running on empty is a challenge and if the bank account is near empty that can be a problem if relationships are kind of um, depleted And there's not much more to draw on that can be incredibly discouraging so the idea of empty is not generally a positive idea and so um, God himself wants to fill us because in the heart of God empty is not good either remember David when he was talking about the fullness of his experience my cup overflows not my cup is empty empty. My cup overflows. Love that idea. God is pouring a drink, so to speak, for the psalmist, and it just overflows. There's enough, more than enough. A picture of shalom. Beautiful. So in creation, the very first two verses in the Bible, um, this is what we hear. In the beginning... Right, Genesis, the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The picture is like a bird. Where else have we seen a picture of the Spirit like a bird? Remember Jesus' baptism? The Spirit like a dove, right? came on God's, can we call it, the new creation that was about to emerge. Not that Jesus was created, that's not what I mean. But there is a new work of the Spirit that is about to happen. It's a picture, actually, in the first two verses of Genesis of this idea of spiritual formation, where God is always... taking that which is formless and forming it, always taking that which is empty and filling it, and always taking dark places and shining light. This is what God does. Right from the very beginning of the Bible, we see this, and the spirit is the one who is over all things and who is about to bring about some wonderful, amazing things. What's empty is about to be filled. And what does he do? God goes and he begins to fill this world, right? The oceans get filled with all the sea creatures. Um, the skies above are populated by all sorts of, um, birds that fly and, and, and land on trees. And, and the skies above are filled with God's beautiful creation. And then the animals that move along the ground. And, and apart from mankind, you know, he threw away the mold, right? When he made dogs. Oh yeah. When he made dogs, it was like, I want to show mankind just a picture of my unconditional love. And he makes dogs. Uh, But it's a beautiful picture how God fills this world with beautiful things. It's not good when the world is empty. It's not good when we're all alone. So I'll make a helper suitable for the man, and I want to fill this world with so many beautiful things. This is who God is. And so in creation, we see God filling that which is empty. We see this at a wedding, it's a beautiful story. The very first miracle of Jesus, if you've been around the Bible, you know where I'm going with this, but Mary and Jesus and some of his family are at this wedding, and this couple, like the wedding celebrations, we think they're like long now when you're at a reception for four or five hours. These are like seven-day events, right? They're like sleepover parties, and, uh, and they ran out of wine. That's a problem at a first-century wedding. And Mary feels the pain of the couple because it would be incredibly shameful for the couple, incredibly embarrassing. Uh, And so Mary advocates to Jesus, says, you gotta do something about this. So here's how it shows up in John's gospel, chapter two. When the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus says, respectfully, woman, why do you involve me? And Jesus replied, my honor has not, my hour has not yet come. (laughs) This is Mary. His mother just said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. In other words, he's going to do something. (laughs) Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. That's a lot. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. What's empty? Go and fill it with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine, after the guests have had a little bit too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. There's a lot going on in this passage. We don't have the time to unpack it today. But here is Jesus filling some large um, containers that were used for ceremonial washing to come and bring joy and refreshment and to be a form of rescue, actually, to this couple who were about to experience great humiliation. God delights to fill empty things. And he loves to bring joy to empty containers. And he loves to rescue those who have perhaps been humiliated or are on the precipice of humiliation. He loves to rescue and come alongside those who are embarrassed. This is our God. Pentecost is about moving from empty to full. And it's about refreshment. It's about joy. It's about honor. It's about beauty and goodness. And so we see it in creation. We see it in the very first miracle, moving from empty to full. And then we see this picture in life. Uh, The words of Jesus, John chapter 10, verse 10. We already heard it this morning. The thief comes to steal and kill and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. That word in Greek, full, literally means this. It means super abundant in quantity, and it means superior in quality. That's what Jesus came to bring. Super abundant in quantity. Sort of sounds a bit like eternal life, doesn't it? I've come to bring life that will never end. And by the way, the quality of life that I want you to have is going to be superior to anything else you could even imagine in this world. It's the best kind of life. Doesn't mean it doesn't come with its trouble or challenges or difficulties, but it is in a very different category. And those of you who've tasted and seen about what life in the kingdom of God is like, you could say amen to this, that there is a very different quality of your life when you are orienting every part of who you are around the leadership of Jesus. And so um, this is what he has come to provide for us And uh, this is an important thing for us to understand. It'll lead us into our second thought in just a second. Paul writes, again, building off of the Old Testament idea of in creation and the first miracle of Jesus and this idea of a full life. And he writes to the early Christians and says, be very careful then how you live. Ephesians chapter 5. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, he says, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. This is the Lord's will. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to all sorts of destructive behaviors. Instead, rather, he says, be filled with the spirit. Let that be the primary influence in your life. Instead of being intoxicated by wine, be filled with the spirit that leads you to a life of great self-control and wisdom. And he says, it'll be evidenced by what comes out of you. Speaking to one another, not in profanity but with psalms, hymns, and songs with the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, in the Greek uh, tense of that word, it's in the aorist tense, which means keep on being filled. It's not a one-time moment where it was like, oh, I spoke in tongues a number of years ago. I had this experience with God. I think that's when I started to be filled. I was at camp, or I was at youth convention, or I was at some other event. It was a prayer gathering. It was a small group. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. Day after day after day after day. And so that's our second thought for consideration today is this. Being full of the Spirit is not a one-time experience. Um, Humans, unfortunately, leak energy. And vitality, don't we? Um, we're not static creatures. We're always in motion. And uh, we're dependent creatures, which means that we need external sources of help for um, being, you know, sus- living a sustainable life. We're not independent. God is the only independent uh, being. We are dependent creatures. And so uh, the best way to maybe think about ourselves is to think about our life like a bucket with some holes in it. Uh, what you pour in sort of unfortunately comes out. We, we leak energy. That's why we have to go to sleep every night to kind of restore our energy, right? Our body can heal itself. Um, God is, is, if I didn't believe in him, I'd say he's unbelievable. I, I bit into a dill pickle this morning. Uh, why? Because my wife made a lunch for me because I'm going cycling with some friends. So she said, do you want some dill pickles? I said, sure. And there was half it left over. She said, do you want it? And it's like 6.30 in the morning. I said, yes, please. And I love dill pickles, and I put it in my mouth, ate it. I said to Peter right there, I said, oh, God is unbelievable. He arranged the taste buds of the body. I'm not even kidding. I'm being dead serious. It was like, oh, it tastes so good, first thing in the morning. God delights, right, in giving us these experiences. He could have made us to have appetites and drives for things, But he's so good that not only does he give us the appetite and the drive, but he actually arranges taste buds all over our our tongues so that we can enjoy savory things, beautiful, sweet things. And it, it does work in concert with our appetite and sometimes does get us in a little bit of trouble, right? But would it not be a very bland world to just eat to survive? We eat to enjoy. This is the way God made us. And we just get a chance to see through the veil dimly, right? And through a distorted mirror, so to speak, and say, this is just a little symptom of the goodness of God that we get to experience in this life. And you and I, I, I do it. I don't want to make myself sound like I'm always on the lookout for God. I'm, I'm just like you. I live in the world and I get busy. And, but this morning, it just came to me. It was like, wow, what a beautiful thing God has done. Yeah, he is good. Humans leak energy, we need to be restored. Remember our friend Elijah? He's a good man, he's a prophet, he speaks on behalf of God. We referenced him earlier in this series. 1 Kings 19, he's on the run from Ahab and Jezebel. He's depleted, he is a bucket with big holes in it, actually, and he has been leaking energy and vitality, and now he's at a place of burnout, maybe depression. He needs to be fed, he needs to be rested, he needs to be restored, re-enlisted into God's program again. And so all of us can go there and experience this. So what we need is to be constantly, consistently filled up so that we can um, pour in or have poured into us the substance, the substance of what we need most, which is the life of God in us. Can I take you to the Old Testament and just try to track with me? If you're new to the Bible... Um, I'll just try to throw some things to you here that hopefully will start building the larger macro narrative and we're going to land in just a few minutes. But if you go to Genesis chapter 11, you'll read about a group of people who were um, full of arrogance and ego and they wanted to build a tower to the heavens because they thought there was nothing they couldn't do. So there was a sense in which they wanted to occupy the space of God. Remember this principle. What Genesis 11 teaches us is this, because it says in the text that they wanted to make a name for themselves. Full of ego, pride, and arrogance, there's nothing that will ever stop us. As a society, we can do anything and everything, and so up they go to be in God's place, and God says, oh no, this isn't good what they're doing. Not that he was threatened. He wasn't threatened at all. He knows that arrogance and pride is not good for us. Remember, pride comes before a big wipeout, and he doesn't want them to wipe out. So he has to, in his love, He has to bring some measure of correction and discipline. And so this is the Tower of Babel, right? A play on words where they were once one language, and this is where the languages of the world are established. They were scattered. They became foreigners to each other because pride and arrogance. Remember, whatever is in us will eventually come out. We'll either leak it out or we'll (laughs) vomit it out. What is in us will come out. What was in those people was pride and arrogance and it was coming out genesis chapter 12 the very next chapter says here that god comes to a man named abram and says i will make your name great whenever you see a pattern show up in the bible you say okay time out here the biblical writer wants me to pay attention he's contrasting chapter 11 and chapter 2 the ways of humans when we're not led by the spirit not in step with god and Um, when God comes alongside and says, I'm choosing you, I'm making covenant with you, let's walk and do life together, very different. He'll make your name great. Don't worry about making a name for yourself. That'll get you in all sorts of trouble. You let God make a name for you, and you'll find doors open up that you could never have opened up on your own. I've always said this to people too, is this has been my MO in life. Love the person in front of me. That's it. Just love the person in front of me treat them as best I can. And if I do that over an extended period of my life for the fame and the renown of the one true God, he'll look after all my other stuff. I don't need to worry about any of that. What's the next right thing? Just do it. Love the person in front of you. Life can be really simple when you reduce it to these, kind of, these little maxims. Right? Um, so God says, I'm going to make your name great. And there's a contrast there, no question about it. One language scattered, they're foreigners to each other. We fast forward into into the book of Acts, and we find out that God wants to put his spirit in the people, and what comes out of them is something very different than pride and arrogance. In fact, when you read Acts chapter 2, the back end of the chapter, after they've been filled with the spirit on the day of Pentecost, they're loving each other, serving each other, sacrificing for each other. It's not about making a name for themselves. It's about looking after the person around them. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of what happens. Always remember, what's in us will come out. We used to always say this when we were youth pastoring years ago. Garbage in, garbage out. That's the principle. What we put in will come out. It's the way it works. All right. In the last remaining moments we have, the last last point, number three, is this. We're invited to partner with the spirit of Jesus, as I've already mentioned. I've got homework for you, those of you who want to do a little further digging. Um, we are part of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada as a church community. And um, we are brought together by doctrine and by mission. And um, now I would say that every church today is Pentecostal, right? On Pentecost Sunday. But what is of greatest importance to um, the Pentecostal movement over the years has been the mission of Jesus. It's the mission of Jesus that brings us together. And we also recognize that we're just not good enough, smart enough to do the mission of Jesus without the help of the Spirit. And so we want to be the kinds of committed Jesus-following people that have the full experience of what it is that God has for us. And so we know that there is no Christian life without the work of the Spirit. Anybody in this room today who has come to saving faith in Jesus, you have been made alive. That hasn't happened because you tried to do it. It didn't happen because you were good enough or you kept enough of the rules. It happened because the Spirit of God came and opened up your eyes to the person of Jesus and led you to a place where you said, I need salvation. It's all a work of the Spirit. And then whatever we do after we've come to know Jesus that adds value in the kingdom of God is also a work of the Spirit. And so, kind of like from beginning to end, Genesis chapter 1, the first two verses, the Spirit's hovering over the waters. The back end, like literally the last chapter of the book of Revelation, the Spirit and the bride say, come. The Spirit is inviting. The Holy Spirit's always inviting. I had a time in my life, I think I've shared this a number of years ago, I had a time in my life when I was, I had some experiences around charismatic environments that didn't help me. They actually, they actually regressed me. And, and there were things that were happening formationally in me that weren't helpful. And I began to have experiences about the Spirit because of what people were saying and doing in His name that made me step back with greater reluctance. And I have over the last decade or longer uh, come to terms with the fact that that was just an experience that we could call pseudo in some way. It's a pseudo experience. Um, But when you have a genuine experience with the spirit of God, I'm talking genuine and authentic. There is nothing, nothing like it. And when I say it, I don't mean because he is a person. I mean, there's nothing like it when it comes to being aware of the fact that you're inhabited by the divine and that he is close by and knows what's going on in your life and is speaking to you in real time. There's nothing like it. We are invited to walk with Jesus or to stay in step with the Spirit. So, back to the Pentecostal experience. Pentecostals, I would suggest, when we are not at our best, we go back to the early 1900s and we stay there. We talk about an experience called Azusa Street. Not discounting it, I'm just saying if we stay there, we miss the point. It was a movement for a time and a season with a group of people, and there was something beautiful that emerged from that. In fact, a lot of what happened in the contemporary Pentecostal movement today came from that. But if we stay there, we miss the forest for the trees. That's an important thing to understand. It's part of our story. We go back to Acts chapter 2, the biblical story, where the birth of the church occurs in the Holy Spirit. And again, sometimes we've made more of the metaphors, the sound like a violent wind. It wasn't a violent wind, but it was like a violent wind, right? Like a dove. So they have this experience, and we're going to visit it in just a second, but it is monumental. It's transformative. They are now on mission with Jesus in the world, and they could never have done it without the help of the Spirit. Peter, who was a coward, denying he even knows Jesus, is now filled with the Spirit, announcing the back end of chapter 2 of the book of Acts that 3,000 people come to know Christ, and he's bold, declaring that Jesus is Lord. The Spirit did that transformative work. But I would even argue today, and I've done this before in the past at King Street, I would even argue that if we're going to have the full experience of what it means to be Pentecostal or to understand the depth of Pentecost, which is today, we need to understand what happened back in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, which is known as the Feast of Weeks. If we don't understand what's happening in the Feast of Weeks, we'll miss the forest for the trees again. Because what's happening in Acts chapter 2 is all these people are coming from all sorts of different settings, and they come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. And what happens there is they hear, supernaturally enabled, people declaring the greatness of God in languages they'd never learned. So there's a supernatural experience happening there, but it's in the context of the Feast of Weeks, So Pentecost, what is the Feast of Weeks? Can I give you five characteristics of Pentecost, which sometimes you'll never hear taught uh, because we only go so far in church history and we stop somewhere. This is part of our story too, okay? This is part of the church's story on Pentecost. So what is Pentecost? Here it is. We got to understand it historically so that we can fully grasp it in the New Testament. So here it is. It's the Feast of Weeks, and this is the homework assignment for you. Leviticus 23, 15 to 22. I would recommend you reading that. Contrast it with Deuteronomy 16, 9 to 12. Then go into Acts chapter 2, read verses 1 to 13. You have time this afternoon. Go for it. Do some homework. But here's the five points that you're going to find emerge from these three texts that are rooted in the Feast of Weeks. Here it is. The Feast of Weeks was about generosity and gratitude. We heard about that last week from Pastor Al. When we understand the celebration of the Feast of Weeks, there is an open-handed posture toward people. Miserliness and Pentecost do not go together or Feast of Weeks. It's a generous community of people. They are open-handed and they bless, and they do it out of gratitude for God. You can read it for yourself in those passages. Secondly, it's about community and it's about celebration. Uh, It's about being together in a community like family. It's about breaking bread together and doing life together. It could be argued it's about cycling together. It's about having coffee together. It's about talking and laughing. And I was with some friends on Friday night playing games together. It's about doing life together. It's about community and celebration. If we're going to be the kinds of people who understand our roots, Feast of Weeks, be filled with the Spirit, Pentecost, we will be people who move toward each other in relationship, and we will be throwing parties all the time. I like that, throwing parties all the time. A couple people want to throw parties, but not many of you want to throw a party. That was an amen moment, throwing parties all the time. All right, number three, it's about making room. This is big. It's about making room for the marginalized, the oppressed, the poor, and the overlooked. When you read Feast of Weeks, they were given instruction in Leviticus and Deuteronomy to not harvest all the way to the edges of their property, but to leave some, to leave some for the under-resourced so that they could come and help themselves, have the dignity of coming to work the land for themselves. And so there's always a mind, there's always an eye, so to speak, on the marginalized, the people at the margins so that we can help them. And this is a part, a big part of our mission. That's why I was started out this morning celebrating what happened down at the Young Street Mission last night. Not forgetting the people who don't have a seat at the table and who are often overlooked by others. I've only got two more for you and then we're going to land. Number four, it's about the spirit of God empowering us to do the mission of God in the world. Acts chapter 2. These people come from all these nations. They gather there. They're foreigners to one another. There's no common language. Spirit comes upon them. They hear them declaring it in their own tongue. It's a supernatural occurrence. And here's the whole point. We miss the point if we get sidetracked on just the supernatural enablement through the language speaking that was unlearned. Really what's happening there is outsiders are becoming insiders. People who are foreigners to the gospel and to the kingdom of God are invited to have a place at the table. God supernaturally comes upon his people so that they can reach out to those who are on the outside. That's the point. That's the mission. That's the harvest idea rooted in Pentecost. And that's what should drive every church that wants to be Pentecost in its orientation. And then finally, here's the last one. It's about God using those inside the circle of God's grace and love to help those outside of the circle of awareness Of God's grace and love. And uh, so this is who we are, people of God on Pentecost. And as we partner with the Spirit, and as we choose to be full rather than empty, we will be moving towards a greater experience of the shalom of God. And it's Having enough, more than enough. It's wholeness, it's well-being. It's not just the absence of conflict. It's about working together for the common good of one another. And Jesus is at the very center of all of it. And uh, it's an awesome movement and community to be a part of. So on this Pentecost Sunday, it's really happy birthday to the church because the Spirit came. And you're looking pretty good for 2,000 years old almost. Um, But isn't that a really cool thing to think about? For over around 2,000 years or so, the Spirit has been working in the world. Um, in really Jesus-centered ways. He's been working prior to the kingdom of God coming through Jesus. Um, But there was a uniqueness. There was a uniqueness by which the Spirit came. Now no longer is it just prophet, priest, and king. It's all of us can be priests to God. The priesthood of all believers because we're all indwelled by the Spirit. So um, let me say this to you at the very end of our teaching The moment you become a Jesus-following person, you open your life up to Christ and you acknowledge you need salvation. You say, be the leader of my life. Forgive me for my sins. I want to move forward, putting you at the center of my life. You get the totality of the Spirit of God. He comes to live and reside in you. You are reclaimed, redeemed. The Spirit is a down payment, a deposit. He inhabits you. In the words of Paul, we have this treasure, which is the Spirit in these jars of clay, our bodies. They don't last forever, this side of heaven, but the Spirit comes, makes us spiritually alive, leads us into the way of God, the wisdom of Christ. That's what happens for every believer. There is also a subsequent experience that Paul talks about, about being filled with the Spirit, being baptized with the Spirit, where we get this continual. That's what Paul's getting at here. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. Keep yielding yourself Keep acknowledging that left to yourself, you're going to always go the wrong way. You'll be in a body of death, so to speak. We need the Spirit of God to make our body alive, to make our mind alive, to resist the the ways of this world so that we can live rightly before God. Uh, This is an ongoing process where the Spirit is filling us. And there is an overflow of what happens, what comes out of us. And Paul talks about how there is a sign, and it's an overflow of what comes out of the human when it comes to uh, being filled with the Spirit. We speak to one another differently. We act differently in the world. And um, we're always on mission with Jesus. That's who we are.